Well, why don't we get started with News My Dad? Pop, how you doing? This is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so. Dad, we take turns. Pop typically takes the first turn. Pop, how you doing this morning? Well, I'm completely puzzled. Whatever happened to, and now it's time for news with my dad. If you don't hear it, it means it didn't get played. And us talking about it doesn't make it get played. <laughs> and so we're controlled by the music. How you doing, Pop? I am doing okay. I got lots to talk about today, and I have a shout-out. Go ahead. Do I get any shout-out music? Apparently not. Apparently not. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm a person of habit. I am shouting out for my grandson, Miles Wood, your nephew. Miles Wood made a video of himself riding his, his skateboard down a hill trying to drink out of a large bottle of cranberry juice, which didn't work very well, and he got a whole lot of sprays onto his face. And it's really quite funny. Over 105,000 people as of this morning have taken a look at that video, which just tells you the potential power of social media. If what you're doing is throwing grape juice in your face, then yes, social media has terrific power. So congratulations to the grape juice video. Just amazing. What a what to acknowledge the passing of Whitey Ford at ninety one, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Uh, funny guy who played for the New York Yankees uh, back in the day of Mickey Mantle. Anyway, he's gone. And we should acknowledge that today is Indigenous People Day here. Some places it's Columbus Day, but here it's Indigenous Peoples Day. So there's a federal holiday and the, the banks are closed and the government offices are closed. And, of course, because of COVID, there's a whole lot of this stuff that's closed. Well, Pop. Where do you want to start? I want to start with COVID because there's just a lot of COVID stuff going on that I think we ought to make that is worthy of mention. Is that okay? Go ahead. Well, first, I want to say uh, I, people who listen to this program regularly probably know that I have been somewhat critical of Dr. Burks, and I am even more critical of Dr. Burks because it turns out that she has been part of the pressure from the White House on CDC to tamp down warnings and to change language and to make things easier. And we should note the the letter of the former CDC director, Foggy, Foggy however it's pronounced, to Dr. Redfield, telling Dr. Redfield that he really does need to speak up because the CDC, the influence of CDC is just in going into the toilet because it can no longer be trusted because of his allowing the White House to do what it's done. Pretty awful. More than one half of the states are showing increases in cases. And Montana, New Mexico, North Carolina, Tennessee, Vermont, over 50% increase in cases. And this is at the same time that GOP governors especially are simply lying about what's happening. They're, try they're trying to put lipstick on a pig, quite frankly. South Dakota, which is as the, the last week, was the second highest increase per percentage-wise, population-wise, for new cases. Their governor has said 
incredible success. North Dakota, number one in the country. Their Governor Burgum has said, what a remarkable achievement. Oklahoma, Governor, same kind of stuff. It is just, it's just amazing how folks want to put their head in the sand. Here, you know, prison deaths are serious. We've lo- we've lost locally hold fast dining and the brew doctor tea houses are closing because COVID has has eliminated their their business sufficiently they can't stay alive. Hot spots in Oregon. McDonald's in Medford, 21 cases. New Seasons in Washington County, 20 cases. 175 ducks, that is 175 students at the University of Oregon. The uh, uh, Just a whole lot going on. We're supposed to be getting tests, and they're saying that we may be in a position to put out 60,000 tests a week. That would be very nice. Maybe I could finally at last get text, tested, which despite of the fact having had symptoms in March and being in the age bracket that definitely is supposed to be watched, I have been unable to get a test. The uh, In New York, New York City, because of lockdowns, churches, they've issued $150,000 worth of fines on some churches who stayed open. The uh, uh, And DDT says he is immune. What do you think about that? I have no idea whether he's immune or not. I suspect he now has antibodies built up. But what I do know also is that a friend of ours, in fact, big shout out to Gary Boyer. Uh, I do know that a friend of ours has had it twice, has had COVID-19 twice. So he doesn't know if he's immune. And we don't know if he's immune. And I think the analysis of truth does not start or end with whatever the president says. Wow. And the the Trump campaign has put out an ad in which they quote Dr. Fauci. Actually, they don't quote Dr. Fauci. They have Dr. Fauci saying that uh, he didn't see how how DDT could have done more. And Dr. Fauci has expressed surprise at that ad, saying his permission was not asked, and he was not talking about DDT. He was talking about the governmental effort at that moment back in March. But, of course, we would not expect honesty from anything connected to Donald Trump. There are nearly nearly 550 schools in the state that are back, kids back in classrooms, over 30% of, this, of those are private. And since there's substantially fewer private schools than public schools, interesting that uh, that is. One of, the, one of the interesting side effects of COVID is there's been a significant ramp up in people seeking pet dogs. Do you have any thoughts on why that might be? Oxytocin, loneliness, not being able to hug your grandparents. Of course, I have to say that having George around has been, as the name of my dog, George Bailey, richest dog in town. Uh, having having George around has been a real blessing during the last, I don't know, his whole life, but certainly during the last six and a half months. So sure, it doesn't surprise me at all. And I think we've known, like people baked bread, I mean, you know, you do the home stuff. 
right? If you're at home more, you do the home stuff. And what's the home stuff? Well, that home stuff includes watching TV. I don't know if we have numbers on how much more TV has been watched, but I'll bet you it's a whole lot more. Also, bacon bread. There was all kinds of shortages of flour and stuff because there was bacon, making bacon goods. And then, you know, cuddling your dog. And one of the one of the nice things about having a dog is being able to cuddle and be at home with one of the challenging things having a dog is having to leave it behind and say, well, what are you going to do? What are you doing during the day? You know, a, a dog standing around by itself for eight hours is not a is not a great situation for a dog. Uh, they need to go to the bathroom and they get lonely and bored. You're their whole life if you own a dog or if you, you have a dog companion. And if you, uh, uh, but, you know, during COVID-19, you can stay home. Like we, we usually uh, sent George to the kennel. Uh, he, he, we called it school. We took George to school, you know, daycare. We'd take him to daycare twice a week, sometimes three times, usually twice a week. And he didn't like, he liked his old school a lot. His first school, like his current school, I guess his current school has been there for six and a half months. He didn't like, and we could see it because they had little doggy camps. He didn't play with the other dogs, but at least, you know, at least there was some degree of interaction. There was human beings watching him in case something happened. So we would do that twice a week. Well, now he's the happiest dog in town because he never has to go to daycare. He never has to go to school. All he has to do is cuddle, and all he really wants to do is be with Katie and me. So, yeah, this is, this is a, it's a great time to own a dog. And is he at your feet right now? Yes. <laughs> well, let's look down. And, of course, we're, about, we're one about, of the examples of it. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan, a few months ago, brought home a very small dog, and that very small dog is no longer very small. He's now twice the size of George. Yeah, his name is Wallace, and he's, a, what, he's an Aust- Australian Shepherd, Pop? Say again? Australian Shepherd. Beats me. All right. You live with a dog. <laughs> nice dog, though. Okay. So, yeah, George is right now. George is right now uh, a foot and a half away from my feet. I lay down. When I get here in the wintertime, and it's now almost, you know, it's start of the wintertime, and the ca- classification of whether it's winter or summer, there's really only two seasons, okay, in terms of what I'm about to describe. Uh, it will become clear when I describe it. I take my sweater off. And I put it on the ground for George to lay down on so that he has a bit of a doggy bed. And so right now, I could tweet it out if anybody wants to see. Uh, and it, right now, he has positioned himself strategically, or if not strategically, tactically, or if not tactically, by force of habit, to lying down on my sweatshirt, on my sweater, or my jacket sort of soft thing that is laying down from his bed. Dad, I, I got to say, today back in the day in 1988, Eight, I think it was uh, the you know what you know what happened you know what happened today back in the day 1988 October 12th 1988 1988 I don't Congress voted on the federal flag desecration act the house passed it uh, this is the in the wake of uh, in the wake of the Vietnam War when lots of people had been burning flags and the right wing was looking for ways to divide what we later called, well, actually we called at the time, uh, Reagan Democrats. And they were looking for sort of social issues that could divide people. They said, aha. And, the, and much of how Ronald Reagan and Richard Nixon rose to power was by, and particularly in this instance, Ronald Reagan was by uh, critiquing liberals and then connecting that with whatever... Uh, whatever the most extreme protest activity would be. Of course, the supermajority of people in the United States care about its symbols and care about their country. So when there was burning a flag, when people were burning flags, there was a chance to go around state by state, 48 out of 50 states, passed flag burning, flag desecration 
laws. Texas versus Johnson, and this will be my segue, Texas versus Johnson invalidated those laws. Congress came back and voted on a federal law, and then the Supreme Court came back in the Eichmann case and got rid of that too. But, Dad, that is an interesting segue to me because also today, Amy Coney Barrett will begin her testimony to fill what is not Merrick Garland's seat on the Supreme Court, but in fact is Donald Trump's almost during election appointment. Well, yeah, there are people, people have already, there's millions of people already cast ballots, so it is a during election appointment of a Supreme Court justice. I'm wondering if there are things that you, we know that they'll talk, ask about health care. We know that they'll ask about voting rights. We know that they'll ask about Roe versus Wade, women's right to choose. I assume she will answer on none of those things. The modern uh, advice is ever since Clarence Thomas is, and maybe before that, is don't answer questions in any way that is useful to understanding how one's going to vote. But we understand if she's going to vote already. Uh, Dad, what are you looking forward to in Amy Coney Barrett's testimony? Well, I'm not looking forward to it at all. I am looking forward, I'm looking rather with trepidation toward it because a lot of smart people are saying you mustn't ask any questions that relate to her religion. But if you can't ask questions that relate to her religion, particularly because of, of her involvement in a in a cult-like sounding organization which has a relatively small membership in which she was had the title of handmaid and which made it clear that women should be subservient to their husbands and and that uh, if you can't ask her about that kind of thing how are you going to know what she's like Lou? but 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 if i were there i know i would ask i would ask a couple of uh, if I could ask questions, the first question I would ask is, Judge Barrett, do you believe that Marbury versus Madison was decided correctly? And I would insist on an answer to that, a yes or no answer she could talk about, but I want to know, does she believe that Marbury versus Madison was was ruled correctly? And for folks who are not familiar with Marbury versus Madison, you're the you're the constitutional lawyer. No, you go case. ahead. Did you Pop. want to tell them or should you, I? You go ahead. Well, it was where uh, the the Supreme Court, under the direction of a very John Marshall, a very very wily, smart Chief Justice, ruled against the wishes of his party, against the wishes of his president, on the appointment of a guy named. Marbury to a minor federal post, but did that in such a way as to establish the right of the Supreme Court to invalidate federal statutes or federal acts if in the judgment of the court it violated the Constitution. And that, of course, has had huge implications for the rest of our history, and I would like to know if she believes that. And after we pinned her down on that, I would then want to ask, do you believe that there is implicit or inherent in the Constitution a right of privacy? And if not, if so, what do you think it is? And if you do not think it is there, why not? And I would insist she answer that question, too. 
because the right of privacy is the basis of Griswold versus Connecticut, where the court decided that the federal government had no bill, or the state government rather, had no business telling married couples what they did in the privacy of their bedroom. And uh, Roe versus Wade, etc., uh, etc. Et what other questions would you want to ask her? Well, I'll give a little bit of background, first of all, and why I brought up Texas v. Johnson. So Amy Coney Barrett was a law clerk to Antonin Scalia and has referenced that she is a Scalia type and aims to be a Scalia type justice. But what one of her clerks has intimated and what she has made somewhat clear in her own uh, judicial record is that she doesn't have Scalia's, what was described by the New York Times as occasional pension for occasional liberal rulings, or we might just say sort of First Amendment fundamentalist rulings. It was a 5-4 decision in Texas versus Johnson, just as Stevens was with the minority who would have stood up for and allowed the uh, allowed the flag burning anti the flag burning ban laws. Anton Scalia was one of the five to in that five to four decision. He was one of the five that voted to strike them down. He was of the view that the First Amendment means you got to be able to criticize the government. And criticizing the government's got to be able to mean that you desecrate its symbols. Now, that is a significant departure. Her being like, well, like Scalia, except for the times that Scalia crossed over, that's a significant descriptor. Uh, here are a couple other things I am I, 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 looking ahead to, looking forward does have a value, suggests a value judgment. I expect that when asked about Roe versus Wade, she will say it's settled precedent. She said that in 2007 when she was being confirmed to uh, the lower federal court uh, and this is itself a really important dynamic. And here's my hot take for the morning. Understand that that is not the key. Pri- this has been the key priority to build an anti-democracy judiciary for the last 40 years, but it is not the key priority of the people in charge. That the Koch brothers have been the primary funders of the Federalist Society. The Federalist Society has been the thing that is spent along and, and mostly with almost entirely, well, yeah, almost entirely by the huge percentage with Koch brothers' money has, and now they have other donors as well, of course, has uh, driven the largest transformation in the judiciary in 100 years. And it's, it's uh, uh, somebody who used to work at the bus project, uh, this wonderful guy, uh, was working for uh, Senator Shel- Sheldon Whitehouse, right? Uh, and who was, on the, who was on the Judiciary Committee and was working on this. And he said, Jeff, it's just remarkable what's happening. I mean, like the number of judges that they're putting through, the degree to which that they are entirely, and they're nearly all Federalist Society members. They're nearly all cut from the same cloth. And if you want to describe that cloth, it wouldn't be too different than I described Amy Coney Barrett, which is uh, like Scalia, but without the good stuff. Okay. And... Those folks, those people, that that project, the ones leading that project, the Koch brothers funded project doesn't care about choice nearly as much. They do. It is important rhetorically. It is important in the literature. It is important in meetings. But really, if it comes down to it, when they're said here, here's what you can say, and what you can't say in their uh, in, in your confirmation hearing. The reason they say, yeah, it's OK to say that it's settled precedent is they want you 
they want you confirmed and they want to be able to instead chip away. That's the move, not to overturn Roe because it'll be oh so very famous in the same way. And I is what really when my light went off, my light bulb went off was when Justice Rehnquist, uh, when the Justice Rehnquist court did not overturn Miranda rights. And based on their uh, based on their judicial philosophy because Miranda rights are a subject of common law and not in the Constitution for those and for all this campaigning about oh activist courts or making law we shouldn't have courts make law that's activist stuff should only do what's in a statute or what's in the Constitution Miranda, Miranda rights are not in either place but they upheld Miranda rights and it was so clear to me remember that Justice Rehnquist started out as a political player not a judicial player he was a he was a right-wing activist he was a right-wing uh, operative and he recognized that if you overturned Miranda, which has been seen in every cop show in America for the last 40 years, that it would awaken people to how much a huge transformation the court was and would put the conservative court project at some risk. Similarly with Roe versus Wade, they would rather that be a gift that keeps on giving for recruitment so they can go to some small sect that I'm not prepared merely to call the Catholic Church, uh, some small sect of a religious order and talk to the potential handmaids uh, and say, hey, you too should be uh, you should join our judicial project and look because you're not a baby killer and we don't want there to be baby killers. But meanwhile, the thing that that project actually cares about most, the top thing is the primacy of wealth and property interests over the interests of the power of democracy and the social welfare of people. That is the main battle that is going on in the judiciary. Which so, goes all the way, which goes all the way back to John C. Calhoun, right. who argued that property was the was the reason d'être for the existence of the Constitution, and particularly the right to of white people to own black people. So I do. Uh, that, that's my thing on Rovers' way that I have to say about that. A couple other things I am looking ahead to or watching for. Watching for is a better say, way to say that. That's the way normal people talk about say it. I think. Uh, I am interested to hear how she answers questions about Obamacare and healthcare. That is on the ballot right now. That is on the ballot of every U.S. senator who is going to be asked to confirm Amy Coney Barrett. Because if there are six judges who are Trump judges, that puts this will transform the who the chief judge is. The chief judge wants to seem like he's in charge, not like he is uh, in one faction or another. If he is the uh, he is no longer the middle judge, he is no longer the middle justice. If Amy Coney Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed, he will be a more conservative chief justice, and there will be five or six votes to, but not four and not three to overturn Obamacare, at least according to the best court counters. Maybe it'll be like the stitch in time that saves the nine, the flip in judicial philosophy that one of the judges had during the time of FDR when it looked like FDR was going to expand the court. And he didn't expand the court because one conservative judge turned into a pro-democracy judge and a liberal judge as well. Uh, so healthcare, I'm going to be watching for voting rights. And then also there's going to be a lot of people watching Senator Kamala Harris who had such tough questioning on Brett Kavanaugh. And I wonder how she is going to treat, I don't know if you have predictions, Dad, or what you would advise Senator Harris to do now that she is a candidate for the vice presidency, that much of the Joe Biden argument is, hey, a return to normalcy. It's almost like a Calvin Coolidge-ish uh, argument. Was it Calvin Coolidge that said a return to normalcy? It was somebody else. And, uh, and, and will she be as pugnacious as she was 
with Kavanaugh, or will she strike a different tone? I don't know if you have either advice or a thought on that, Dad, before we go to break. I've thought about it a lot, as a matter of fact. I think that I think that she should do her best to use a gentle tone of voice and to smile and to appear collegial and to be kind and to ask tough questions. And I, and I would think that the two questions that I just posed were, are questions that she ought to answer, to, ought to ask. And I think she ought to push back. And, and I think that the, the Democrats really need to push back at the custom that has evolved where candidates who are, who are being, whose nomination have been submitted refuse to express an opinion on court cases. And I think that is a legitimate thing for court cases that are pending, but is absolute crap for cases that have already been decided. I think it is absolutely legitimate to ask them what their opinion is on opinions that uh, on decisions that have been entered in the past, like Marbury versus Madison, like Griswold versus Connecticut, like cases involving whether or not there is a right to privacy, that it is absolutely legitimate to ask. Holy smoke! You ought to be able to ask. Do you agree with the Dred with the Dred Scott decision, or do you think that was the wrong decision? You ought to be able to ask those questions, and they ought to be asked. Well, Dad, we got a couple questions in by text. One of the questions we got was, this is a very depressing day. This judicial confirmation will be the end of what is left of the separation of church and state in the United States, says Aileen. Here's what I would say to the Dad, do you have a response to Aileen? I do. Go ahead. Uh, it will be uh, there. the judicial project the Federal Society has taken on does want to shift that, wants to erode that separation, at least where elements of limiting the rights of women are involved. And limiting the rights to, and, and whether or not it's okay to discriminate against people whose sexual orientation you disagree with. When it comes to the stuff in the Bible that's like to help the poor, uh, they will be fine separating that stuff. When it comes to being a steward of the land, they will be fine separating that stuff. When it comes to loving thy neighbor, they'll be fine separating that stuff. But here's a more, not just snarky, but optimistic take. I don't think that was snarky. but uh, And that is that this could in fact be, uh, as it was in the Lochner era, the dark period, I think it will be the dark period in the American judiciary, there's no question but that hopefully it awakens the uh, recognition among American voters that the court is something they have to care about a lot in their votes. And when, when trolls and bots are out there to say, oh, uh, the, the standard bear for pro-democracy judges is not blank enough, is not liberal enough, is not a strong enough environmentalist, is somebody who has supported drone, some drone thing or whatever, they'll realize, oh, wait a minute. But this person also has the appointment power to decide who will be the last word on what the heck our laws, including our Constitution, mean. And the great one of the great strategic advantages that the right-wing judicial project has had is that it has persuaded and motivated, inspired their voters to place huge primacy on the court, which is not something 
that uh, that progressives have done as much. So there is, I'm not saying it's good news, but I do think that it, it could be the slow turning point. But again, back in, and I do think we're headed to the Lochner era. Okay, this is what's really going on. What I'm, what I'm more concerned about, genuinely, and, and I don't mean to be, yeah, as a matter of prediction, I am. I, I think that the risk to the LGBTQIA community and the risk to women's right to choose, while significant, the percentage chance of those things getting flipped in my mind is a smaller risk. Uh, and I don't, and I, it, it, it's not either or, so I, uh, is a smaller risk than a Lochner era series of decisions that blocks social welfare legislation, that dumps health care rules, that blocks uh, climate change legislation, that, tr- that continues to suppress and allow the suppression of the votes and allow for an anti-democracy uh, uh, set of rules across the country that those are the things that I think are the highest risk because the move for a while this is what I was saying before and this I think was Aileen, yeah, it was Aileen who said it because the move from and this is I don't know why you listen to the show but this is value because not everybody has you know this is not now and this is not dots everybody's connected that the move for the last 40 years has been to thump the Bible but then not do the Bible in the judicial decisions that really what they do is it's like a genie who has a lamp, okay? Or it's like a person who has a lamp that has a genie in it. And when you're a kid, you say, well, what if you had three wishes? What would you wish for? And every kid figures out eventually that what you should do is wish for more wishes. The third wish should be, I wish I had three more wishes or infinity wishes or the power to make wishes forever. Or it gets really, you know, or the power to, if you want to be really creative, as my brother and I occasionally were, the power to bestow wishes and take wishes back from whoever I want. In fact, the power to be a genie. And this is the move that the Republicans have recognized, that the right-wing judicial project has recognized, that if they, and when they have power, use that power to wish for more wishes, to change the rules, to allow for unlimited campaign contributions that are secret, to allow for and, in fact, change the lines of decision-making so that you can have a Congress, you can have U.S. House of Representatives, as we had two years ago, that was had a majority of voters voting for Democrats, but a majority of members of the U.S. House being Republicans that pushes for and allows voter suppression that overturns key provisions of the Civil Rights Act. Wishing for more wishes, not something as famous as Miranda, not something as famous as Roe. It's going to take a while to communicate with people about what this voter suppression stuff is. And shout out to LeBron James for at least using those words in his remarks after winning the NBA championship last night. It takes a little bit. You have to buy, pay some information costs to communicate that information. But the big thing that will happen is we are going to return to a Lochner era as we did 100 years ago. And the only way through that is either expanding the court, providing and imposing uh, term limits, or having a flip, like a, a flip in a stitch in time, a flip in time that stay, that saves the nine. The justice that changed the justice's views back during the Lochner era when they were blocking social welfare legislation and FDR had the votes to expand the court and didn't because he didn't have to. Here's another question. This is Paul. Hello, Paul. Can Senate Democrats do anything to block the vote on Amy Coney Barrett before the election? Dad, I, did, I think I now have my answer to this, but if you want to go first, I've been filibustering for a moment. I think the only possibility of being able to put it off is what what is COVID doing to the to the senators, because right this minute apparently there are three senators that have COVID and two of them are on the judiciary committee. But as I understand the Senate rules, 
it's okay to participate in hearings when you via Zoom, but when the time comes to vote, you have to be in the room. And so it is conceivable to me that they might not have the votes because of absent senators and therefore put it off long enough for those senators to get well. But uh, short of that, short of that, I, I doubt that they will be able to keep it in committee. And if it gets to the floor, uh, as, as I understand the rules now, well, well, I don't understand the rules. I would like to know whether or not, if you're willing to go 24/7, that is to talk 24/7. So a senator talks until he or she has to go to the bathroom, and then yields to another senator who is like-minded, and that senator continues to talk until he or she needs to go to the bathroom or take a rest, and he or she then yields to another and if you're willing to do that 24 hours a day seven days a week back in the old days you could keep a vote from ever happening it's not clear to me whether or not that is still possible if that is still possible that might be a possibility although one one questions whether or not they could pull that off when senators really really want to be back home campaigning to one-third of the Senate being being up right now. That short, short of that, I, I don't have a lot of hope. The, uh, the, but the interesting thing, the interesting thing, I will be interested, uh, I'm going to make a prediction. I am going to predict that the senator from Maine will be a vote against confirmation as long as there are clearly at least 50 votes for. Yeah. But if it was necessary to have her vote to be the 50th, or actually because of absent senators, because there were six senators, so the, the magic number was 49 or 48, but if, if, if her vote was necessary to pass, I will predict that she will vote to sustain the nomination. The what we know is so first of all the filibuster is not an option. Uh, Democrats moved to with Je- with Jeff Merkley's uh, advancing of that cause moved to remove the filibuster to allow uh, Obama lower court nominees to come in, but preserved it on Supreme Court justices. McConnell got rid of it on Supreme Court justices. Just to be clear on that history, it was like, oh well, Democrats got rid of the filibuster not for Supreme Court justices. To be clear, that was Mitch McConnell. Not that it, you know, not that means much at this point, but at least it means something for truth and history. So there is no filibuster option. The other uh, possibility is to get Republicans. Dad, you already went through that. We should make clear that Mark Kelly, if Mark Kelly wins and he's right now ahead in uh, ahead in Arizona, uh, he will get because of because he's filling that seat. He because he's filling a seat that is vacant. Uh, he will be impaneled right away. And that means that instead of needing four votes effectively, they'd only need three votes. But right now they only have two. And Dad thinks he only might, might only have one and a half. Uh, might only have a vote, as you like to cite, when she, her vote is not needed. Uh, the other thing that comes up is, well, can they deny a quorum? The problem is they can change the quorum rules. So right now the quorum rules requires the Democrats to be there. But Lindsey Graham could change the quorum rules in the Judiciary Committee. 
Uh, so the other people have speculated, well, maybe if they started impeachment proceedings, that would delay things. Maybe if they denied unanimous consent on every single thing in the Senate, that would gum up the works. Uh, but even that, even that is that uh, you'd have to move those things very quickly. And this is why they've been moving to, to pass it so quickly. So don't be uh, to push the nomination so quickly. So don't be disheartened, but also do not uh, do not anticipate that they have a way to block the nomination. We were talking about courts. There are a couple of things that courts are doing that I think should be mentioned. The Ninth Circuit by a two to one a three three judge panel has upheld Judge Michael Simon's ruling here in Portland that journalists and observers are not subject to the demands by police to get the heck out. Uh, Dermot O'Scanlan, formerly uh, uh, the uh, governor, Governor Tom McCall's lawyer, who was appointed to the court by Bush, I believe, uh, was the was the one, but anyhow, well, you'd be interested to see if that is taken to the full circuit, Ninth Circuit. Uh, if if so, of course, it'll not be heard certainly before the end of the year. And two courts have told the Census Bureau that they should not stop taking the census until the 31st of this month. And uh, the, uh, of course, the the power of, well, not the power, but the inclination of DDT and his minions to ignore rulings of the court, pretty high. But those are those are significant court rulings that are worth keeping our eye on. And that re- then reminds me, there's a lot of election stuff. Should we talk about some election stuff? Well, I want to reply to Marcy's text. Should Democratic governors in swing states have the National Guard protect the polls? Seems the Proud Boys gangs will be harassing voters with the open carry jerks. They won't challenge the National Guard, question mark, question mark. It's an interesting idea, Marcy. Here is, uh, so generally speaking, I think that's mostly what, Michigan and Minnesota, the two states I can think of that uh, voted for Trump in 2016, that had Republican governors then, that did some voter suppression stuff then, that, uh, that have Democratic governors now. And so if, if you're Gretchen Whitmer, and why am I forgetting the governor of Minnesota's name, what would you, what would you do? Certainly, you would send signals that harassing voters is a felony. You would, and, and, if, and, and if federal law enforcement wasn't going to enforce it, you'd use state law enforcement to, uh, to enforce uh, state laws and also, by the way, uh, can, um, uh, can, can protect folks even based on federal protections. So I think you would definitely do that. Uh, Tim Walz, thank you very much. I, I didn't forget that. I didn't know that. So uh, why did I not know who the governor of Minnesota was? Maybe it's because it's been a while since I've been in Minnesota. Maybe because I didn't vote in that election. All right, we'll move on. And it, but here's one of the risks, Marcy, that, that, I, that I see. So first of all, like my instinct would be, yeah, it sounds great. I also think, though, there is that the more you the more fear you put, you have to be careful not to. I mean, it's even like we're dealing with in the protests. And one of the strategic challenges that the current mayor has to face, that if what you try to do is quell something, that sometimes it can also spark something. And if what you're sparking is uh, more of a conflagration at polling places, that might, in fact, accomplish the very purpose that the Proud Boys are trying to accomplish, which is to keep people away from polling places, particularly in black and brown neighborhoods and in neighborhoods with lots of young people. So this is the... 
So this is the concern. But protecting people at the polls, that absolutely is critical. And if the National Guard is the only way to do it, well, you can't rule out using the National Guard. Dad, yeah, that's a decent segue from court stuff and democracy stuff. Why do we talk about democracy so much? Because people are going to have to care about democracy because that's the way that each of those substantial, each of those substantive uh, rights, liberties, and social welfare protections, those are going to get eroded first by eroding the ability for the people to make decisions. That's going to be the first. As Larry Lessig said uh, in his TED Talk, I'm not saying my thing, he was talking about campaign finance stuff, is the, is the most important thing. Your thing is the most important thing. This is just the first thing. Dad, what election news you want to cover? Well, the first thing is to remind people if you live in Oregon and you are either not registered to vote or since the last time you voted you have moved, you have until the end of the day tomorrow to either register or update your registration. So (laughs) I'm going to ask my son... I'm going to put him on the spot right now. Have you and Katie changed your registration to your new address? No. Okay. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah. Do you promise that you will both take care of that in the next 24 hours? I'm not enjoying this dynamic. Okay, 30 hours. That made me enjoy this dynamic six hours, slightly less or more. I don't know. <laughs> okay. The voters' pamphlets are out. I spent uh, both of Multnomah County, and they're both really, really thick. I spent uh, quite a substantial amount of time going through both of the voters' pamphlets. And uh, one of the things that amazed me is how many, many entries there are expressing opinions mostly for, but also against, the various ballot measures. There's just a huge number. And I don't know what the current cost. $400. What? $400. Is it 400 bucks for, for one? Yep. Well, there's one guy, there's one guy who's, who has published a, a, either 12 or 13. I was told it was 12, but maybe it's 13. Yeah, 12 statements. That means he spent forty-eight hundred bucks. Wow. Yeah, he's a right-wing libertarian um, uh, activist, and I'm forgetting the guy's name. If you voted in front of you, can say it if you want to. Uh, yeah, is those are, are all of those, or a significant number of those on the? Uh, did he do it all across every ballot measure, or did he uh, target? I know he targeted the campaign finance one. Well, the the. Uh, did you hear my question? The, it, did he did he sprinkle his twelve or thirteen? I haven't looked. I haven't seen. I haven't. I haven't seen a voter's pamphlet statement yet, of course, uh, and probably based on what you just said. Although we have told the post office, uh, and uh, so I don't. Uh, so I don't know the answer to this. But did he sprinkle his opposition commentary across ballot measures, or did he focus it on the one I already no, have? Just the one. Just on the campaign finance reform one, right? Just on the. Was that the one? Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's pushing hard against that. No organized opposition except for this guy whose name I don't remember, uh, who's who's submitted all those. Uh, all yeah, those I, actually, either but prob- maybe that maybe Thursday would be a good time for us to do it when we, which supposedly is local Thursday, would be a time for us to to do a more in-depth discussion of some of the things that are found in the voters' pamphlet. One of the things that I found was there was there is one 
candidate for the state legislature who, in her statement of support, used the QAnon mantra. Yeah. Uh, where, 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 where we go, we go all? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, Trump's doing a rally in Florida today. The president is a super spreader. I think people already are aware of that news. And Vice President Joe Biden's going to visit Ohio today, holding a speech in Toledo, going to tra- travel to Cincinnati for motor, voter mobilization event. He won Ohio by, excuse me, Trump won Ohio by 8% in 2016. But now Trump is trailing in some key northern industrial states. He specifically lost support in suburban areas around Cincinnati. Uh, by the way, the mayor of Cincinnati was a law school friend of mine, uh, for whatever that's worth. So, Dad, what's the what do you think is going to be the pivotal thing for Biden versus Trump in Ohio and some of those other uh, Western, what some of those other industrial states? Well, well I, I don't know about the word pivotal, but but some very significant developments. The New England Journal of Medicine, which has been in existence for 208 years and has never endorsed a political candidate has endorsed Biden. Over 1,600 faith leaders have joined to endorse Biden, saying that because of DDT's lack of decency and kindness and his cruelty and corruption, uh, one, one organization, a Right to Life organization, saying said we disagree with Biden on abortion, but overall... The, the difference in the attitudes to, uh, toward biblical principles of, of great significance. And the Pope published an encyclical which does not ever mention DDT, but is clearly aimed at him. And that, that uh, th- those, are, those are all things that uh, are going to happen. Speaker Nancy Pelosi unveiled a bid to the 25th Amendment to allow Congress to intervene if the president is unfit for duty. She's been addressing his mental illness since Trump contracted the coronavirus. Said it's not about Trump, but rather to create a process for future administrations. We had a clip of Pelosi, but I don't think we've got clips at this moment. Uh, the uh, Brian, do we have that clip? I guess we do have that clip. He's going to play it in just a second. Legislation will be under the 25th Amendment, which is ratified after the JFK assassination for the sake of a smooth continuation of power. Let's play that clip. Oh, maybe we don't have it. Uh, this is not about President Trump, but he, uh, he shows the need for us to create a process for future presidents. Throughout America's history, our leaders have created and strengthened guardrails in the Constitution to ensure stability and continuity of government in times of crisis. The 25th Amendment creates a path for preserving stability if a president suffers a crippling physical or mental problem and is, unquote, in the amendment, unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office and transfers his powers. And that also the COVID stimulus talks have now continued. Trump said they were over. Now he says he wants a bigger package. Uh, I think probably what he wants most is people to receive checks that have his name on them at the same time as they're filling out their ballots. But you have any thoughts about that one? Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to pull a pence. 
I want to go back to the previous question before we go away with that, the, the, the 25th Amendment issue, the whole issue of what powers the president has and what limitation you should put on the powers of the presentation, because apparently there's no medical disagreement that the medication he has been taking on, in some cases leads to both paranoia and a, a sense of aggrandizement, which is pretty scary, and that is, has accelerated the recognition that we need to be seriously considering about the law right now that gives the president plenary power over whether or not to push the nuclear button. Even Russia doesn't allow Putin to do that by himself. He has to, he has to get the agreement of, of uh, another individual. And, and that is something that definitely, definitely ought to be talked about. And, and, uh, and I don't want to completely get away from election news because there are a couple of other things that I wanted, wanted to mention. The uh, locally, the uh, uh, Nike, PGE, OLCV, SEIU has put out an ad, which also includes the NAACP. We'll talk about that again in a moment. Opposing Sarah Yannarone's attempt to become mayor, I find that interesting because, because it's inter- interesting combination of bedfellows in that. And there's some question as to whether or not the NAACP should have been included because uh, the president of NAACP, E.D. Mondain, apparently didn't have permission to do that. Yeah, and he's come out and said that he's, he's withdrawn the NAACP uh, support uh, and the, there's, there is a, a leadership conflict now within the NAACP that's been going on for a little while. Uh, it is, uh, and yeah, that group that came out to try to prop up Wheeler, uh, essentially big establishment power trying to stop Sarah Anarone. Also, we got reporting here. We've reported on the local uh, but also we uh, passing it along from uh, the Portland Mercury. Alex Linsky reported here that she has received efforts by Wheeler Confederates to uh, to promote Teresa Rayford over Sarah Anarone, recognizing that with the mayor having 30 percent approval, maybe the best path, well, almost certainly the best path for him to win is not by getting the 51 percent, but by making sure that there's not 100% divided by two, but instead 100% divided by three, and pushing even some groups to uh, to endorse uh, to endorse someone other than either uh, Wheeler or Ianarone. But Ianarone has uh, Ianarone right now had that 11 point lead. It's the one poll we know. We don't know what's happening internally, uh, but Ianarone right now looking pretty good in that race. But they're still, you know, people still haven't cast their ballots. And right now, the big institutional political money in town is flexing their muscles to preserve power. And, and uh, I'm wondering how much that race may be influenced by what I think was, was just a dumb mistake, just a dumb thing to do, was putting in her, her, her voters' pamphlet um, that she had a, of a uh, Ph.D., with three initials that nobody would understand what those three initials meant, but it meant that she really did not have a PhD because she had never written. I don't, you know, I I don't think that's going to ultimately be decisive. And if she loses by, if she loses by a thousand votes, maybe so. Uh, But my own take pop is that's not going to be decisive. There's always something. I remember a colleague of mine who said, uh, 
He said, if you're worried about how you're going to vote uh, because you think it's how it's going to impact the election, just know the same number of anti-mail pieces, the same number of attacks are going to happen to you regardless of how you vote. The only thing that's going to be different is how many mail pieces each attack gets because what's going to determine that is the capacity of the of, of your opposition forces, not the content of your voting record. And it was... It seemed like it was sort of, uh, well, anyway, it, it was really smart thing that he pointed out, that there's always something. Everybody has done something. Everybody in their own lives. And it's so easy to throw stones at someone else. And say, oh, look, I would have never done that thing. Well, yeah, you did some other thing that they didn't do. And that dynamic is present in political campaigns okay. all the time. That doesn't mean all, that doesn't mean all sins are equal. It doesn't mean sins don't matter. But I ultimately don't think that that's going to be, I don't think that's going to be the deciding point. I do think. If there's a million dollar independent expenditure campaign put on by the people who don't want to change how we do transportation policy, who don't want to change how we organize the city budget, uh, who don't want to do don't want to put a, a risk to how the establishment running things for a while, then I think that, uh, that that might change the dynamic. It also might backfire, though. And here's the thing. like There's a real chance now that Sarah Anarone could come in and get uh, i'm not i'm not real fired up i'm not real super pleased about the independent expenditure campaign to be clear uh, i i haven't been endorsing i haven't been talking about you know i've been trying to play it pretty uh, pretty both sidesy uh, about it but i will i will acknowledge my view that my first principle is when it comes to elections is something around democracy and playing games with that stuff uh, is not uh, that doesn't that doesn't make me super super jazzed i'll just be really clear but one advantage you give to Sandra if she wins is that she'll be beholden to so many, so much less of the power structure. Well, that's right. She she will she will be able to say to them when they come to her, they they will not be able to come and say, well, remember what we did for you. She is going to be able to say, exactly. Please give me your case on the merits because we do not have a relationship upon which you can rely. Well, Bob. Well, any other now, any other election news you got? Before we talk talk about elections, well, that, you, we're about we're about to have our guests, so it's about to be, we're about to move on. So I just want to see if there's something we you have before. Holy you smoke! Do. It's eight thirty. Sure is. Well, yeah, I I do want just want to comment on this because I get dozens, sometimes as many over a hundred solicitations for money for campaigns and candidates every single day. An amazing number of them say. Your contribution will be matched two to one, three to one. The most recent from the from president from DDT supporters, eight hundred percent matched. And I've never been able to get anybody to tell me where does the match money come from. And I suspect that the match money does not exist. And I'm wondering why the Federal Election Commission or or the Attorney General of some state doesn't demand to know whether or not this is true. This is the second time you brought that up. I don't think it's as big an issue because it's easy to come up with that matching. <laughs> I, like it's not because what they're trying to do with those emails is all the people who give well, small but, dollar but, amounts. But but it's not ma- my match. The, the assumption is that somebody has said, I will contribute this much if you get yeah. somebody else to contribute. And I just don't believe that's happening. All right. Well, your point is well taken. Well, Pop, do you want to stick around when we talk to Jesse or do you want to do Straw on the Wind? I'll just try in the wind. All right. Oh, we're gonna. We're, that's no our, that was our straw in the wind sound. It was okay. a little beep. And well, that's because straw I didn't have a straw in the wind last time, I have three this time. Straw First straw in the wind. In the wind. 
Uh, go ahead, Pop. Nice. Pabst Blue Ribbon is coming out with a cannabis seltzer. Wow. Yellowstone National Park enjoyed its largest entry in September ever of over 800,000 in September. That's an interesting straw in the wind. And the last one, the Bank of America is going to offer what they call a balance assist loan program where if you have had a checking account with them for over a year, you for just a $5 fee can borrow up to 500 bucks for 90 days which if really will attack the loan sharks that's an interesting straw in the wind well dad we did it one more time we did indeed we'll be back on thursday love you pop love you too